0: Welcome to the Bend ICOC podcast, where we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. Don't forget to leave us a review and a rating, and thank you very much for listening. Last time, we started our January series, Greater Vision. And if you remember, that's if we have a greater vision of God, God can also give us the tool of vision, a greater vision for our life. But if we don't got that greater vision, we tend to have less of a vision of God less of a vision of how he's going to act in our life, and that great vision of God is that he is king. He is king, but if he's less than king, then he gets less in our allegiance, less than our allegiance. So important to start with a clear vision that he is king if we're going to respond in discipleship and follow him. Amen, church? We had touched on the great revelation of uh, Isaiah 6, where it's holy, holy, holy vision of God, and that produces in Isaiah a here am I, send me. So we have to ask ourselves, does our vision of God, is it holy, 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 and does it produce within us a response of here am I, send me? Here am I, I've been sent. That's Isaiah's response. That clearer vision of God can help us to have clarity for our life and the practical on that. It's not just a one-time inspirational sermon and a reminder about it the following Sunday. It's stop, listen, think, cleanse, pray, seek. And we listed some Psalms to really do the heart work of beginning to see the Lord in a transformational way, the relational way that David sees God. Amen that's some work that we all need to be doing. I continue need to be doing. Even when you run through those psalms, you need to keep going back to them. And that lands us on today. So really, if there was a practical from last week, it's spend time with God in those practicals, in your spiritual formation to have a clear view of him. And just when you're getting ready and you got that vision of God, so much in the Bible, the Lord is about to give vision to somebody, but before giving them a huge calling or mission towards the future, He gives them a vision of the past. A look back before a look forward. Sometimes we don't like to look back at certain things. It can be hard work, even harder than seeing God in our present sometimes. Do we see God in our past? You see it all throughout the revelations of scripture. Hey, let me give you a vision, but first, remember who I am, is what God tells them. Remember these deeds that I have accomplished. And what that does, it, it, he gives them the track record. He says, hey, I'm reliable, you can trust me because of all the ways I've worked in your past, and you can, when you can more clearly see God in your past, you will more clearly see him in your future. So today we're talking about vision of the past. First. Why remember and why look back? (laughs) How do we even do that? How can we process our past with God? Process some of the griefs, some of the losses in our life. That takes great acknowledgement and heart work in the Lord. And then two appeals. Let's have a vision of, rather, revision your past and then revision our past together as a community. You can never see God clearly if you don't clearly see him in your past. The hope that he's given you, the power that's raised you to a new life, and all of the graces that he's given. So why look at the past, why remember? We couldn't get the audio to work today, so I'm gonna skip this clip, but if you've seen the cinematic masterpiece Napoleon Dynamite, there's Uncle Rico. And Uncle Rico, he says, oh man, Back in high school, we could have taken state, like throw a pigskin quarter mile over the mountains. <laughs> Kip was like, are you serious? And then they t- start talking about cyberspace and time travel, and he's like, man, I could have gone all the way, be sitting in a mansion with my soulmate in a jacuzzi. And he does not have a clear view of the past, <laughs> which skews his vision of the future. <laughs> he is stuck in his past. So if you, if you want a mental image to take forward in your future, it's don't be like Uncle Rico. <laughs> don't be Uncle Rico. How do we balance that forgetting parts of the past, but also remembering parts of the past? So in Exodus 33, this is the infamous, Lord, show me your glory, boldness that Moses has. I want to see you clearly. And he's like, hey, get in that little space behind a rock, and I will pass by, and you can see my back. Like, if some guy told me that, it would be like, look at your back. That's kind of, I don't know. But it's because God was so holy, so much glory, he could only see his back. And the, the interesting thing, scholars will pick this apart, and they say that is symbolic, looking at the back of God. For God revealing to Moses all of the ways God has worked in the past. I'm not sure how much to make of that, looking at God's back, but we do know that Moses wrote the Torah. We do know that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. We do know that what God revealed to Moses was five books of the past a past vision, a past revelation, a vision of the past. And I love it because in that Exodus 33, this is right at the time of, Lord, we're not gonna go into the promised land, this future, unless you go with us, unless we have your presence. Show me your glory. I want your presence. And God shows him the vision of the past. Same thing for us. We may be looking around or, man, I just don't feel close to God right here in the present. Man, how has God been revealed in your past? That's what Moses had to look at in order to have a forward vision. How has God been revealed, or how has he revealed himself in your past? And it's great to proclaim this and clarify this, and verbalize this, so that we can give that same hope to others. Yes. Really quickly, these are gonna go pop, 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 <laughs> but a quick survey of Scripture, all throughout Deuteronomy, what Moses is writing is, remember, be careful and watch yourselves closely so you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Man, that's gotta be in our heart. Remember the day the Lord, the God stood with you. Remember his voice. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt. Remember what your Lord did with Pharaoh. Remember that he had you in the desert for 40 years in order to refine your hearts. Remember that the Lord gives you the ability to produce wealth. We forget that one sometimes, amen. Remember on the next slide and never forget how you provoked the Lord. Remember today that your children etc etc did not experience the Lord's discipline in the desert. Going on to the next generation. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt again. Remember all the days of your life. Remember. 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 <laughs> and I love the last one. Deuteronomy 32.7. Remember the days of old. Consider the generations long past. Ask your father and he will tell you. Your elders and they will explain it to you. If you're having trouble remembering God... Ask an old guy, (laughs) ask an elder, ask an older Christian, somebody who's had a little more life experience. That's one great reason why we need the elders and the olders. Some other places you can go for that heart work, and these have the ability to incredibly transform your view of how God has worked in your past. Joshua 24, covenant renewal. And man, it's like every other line, remember, remember, remember. There are psalms of salvation history of what God has done for us and his work. And these are beautiful, beautiful psalms, 78, 105, 106, 135, and 136. If you want clarity on how God has worked in salvation history, perhaps even your own personal history, look to there. I'll have to send these notes after afterwards. Don't, uh, no, don't don't, start smoking off your paper by taking notes with your pencil. So we're going quick today. But open your eyes to a biblical vision of the past. God's vision of the past. To sum it all up, see what I wrote, consider your past. Consider our past. That's where we're going. But to sum it all up, All of that prophecy and scripture, only like 2% of it is messianic. We're looking forward to Christ. So much of it is looking to the past. And actually a lot of it is processing the past through lamentation, through song, through so many practices that we need to have. So look at where you are today and how has God worked In your life. First of all, how God has worked in your past. Let's consider that. And I want to just talk about my own past a little bit. Then we'll talk about our past together and consider how the Lord has been faithful. So, guess what? In the first three chapters of Ephesians, which we've just spent, what, six months in, there's only one imperative command. Any guesses what that command is? It's a word I've said a lot today. Remember, 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 even repeats it twice. so You know, it's important, but remember who you were in the world and remember you were once separated from Christ and man, that produces a heart of gratitude and all of Ephesians. It's revisioning so much of how God works in our life. Before the foundation of the world, he knew you, right? And man, the working that we have, our destiny in him, an immeasurable grace, every spiritual blessing, remember those things. Then I appreciate 1 Peter 3.15, because it says, hey, you want to give a reason for the hope that is within you. Mm -hmm. But a motive for giving that reason, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And that reminds me of Isaiah, a holy, 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 so here am I, send me. So when someone asks, why are you sent? Why are you doing this? Why are you here? You can honor Christ the Lord as holy by being prepared to answer and telling them about that hope that Jesus has given you. That's a motive for sharing that hope with others. When asked why you've been sent, can you honor God in your past? I mean, that's our testimony. This is who I was in the world, like Ephesians tells me to remember, but then first, Peter, let me tell you about the hope that Jesus gave. To articulate that, to give hope to others. All of us in our past, we can have some disillusionments. Paul had his disillusionment list, right? I was tortured shipwrecked, beaten, flogged, betrayed, everyone left me, experienced the loss of every relationship in my life, the majority of them. But Paul was able to process that disillusionment list. So when he remembered and looked back on it, he could still fight the good fight. He could still say things like, forgetting what is behind, I press on towards the goal, right? In Philippians, sisters are reading through that. And I think it's because Paul could have a clear vision of God and how he was working through that disillusionment. Myself experiencing loss. Parents divorce, drug use and alcoholism and rehab all in my family. My own low moments of backsliding, whether it's with alcohol or partying and getting distant from God and hiding from God. Disillusionments. Christians in my life, losing those relationships. Almost every man who was in my wedding party, right? Your best man and the one next to him and the one next to him. No longer in my life, walking, deconstructing their faith and walking away from God, and the church. My physical family, majority of them leaving the church, leaving the Lord. My first spiritual mentor who helped to form me as a baby Christian for two or three years, left the Lord, left his marriage. And I'm willing to bet each of us in this room has a similar list. We don't need to think about it long because the negative sticks out in our mind and in our past psychologically just much more strongly than the positive memories. So we need to work to see God. I had to make a decision to see God. Would I allow sorrow to transform me by bringing it to God and really allowing Jesus to transform me? Would I base my joy in the Lord or in circumstances? Would I allow a bitter root in my relationship with somebody to skew my view of the hope of a future relationship with them? Or would I allow a bitter root to distance me from God, to be unrooted from Christ? Would I fight harder and press on more deeply into Jesus to be rooted in him? That's why I say lamenting. This is not lamenting. (laughs) And this is not processing your past. You've probably seen this meme. This is (laughs) fine, And it's not just a rejoice always, but it's a processing in order to have Jesus transform you so that in the Lord you're rejoicing always. This dog's about to be in a bad place. (laughs) He's about to burn out quite literally. One of my favorite verses, past favorite verses, I've now replaced it with Ephesians 1.18, much more hopeful verse, but in the past there was Lamentations 3 where he says, I remember my affliction and wandering. Remember the affliction, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, the Lord's faithfulness in all of those disillusionments. You will struggle to move forward with the godly vision of your life if you don't lament and grieve and allow Jesus to transform your past. I say, hey, you know, in order to really move through this pandemic, we need to grieve the pandemic, lament losses we've experienced. And we're not through all those losses yet, as we see in the news this week. But There needs to be acknowledgement of that, grieving of that. See my wife, a trained grief recovery specialist, she knows that it takes some hard work. Almost everybody I share my faith with these days, they, oh, you're a minister, oh, you're a disciple, you go to church. Yeah, people really need that right now because they know people are grieving and that they need that hope in Christ. So are we able to help people process through their grief, to revision their past? Are you able to help your coworkers, your city, in your lifetime to revision their past? Man, we need God's help to do that. (laughs) Because it is difficult work, it is triggering work, but when we when Jesus is king, man, he's the king of difficult work and the king of triggers and the king of grief. Not to switch them away, but to process through them. Consider our past together. Last point. Henry Now and I love this quote. The degree to which we grieve our losses is in direct proportion to the compassion we can offer other people. That's where we can get caught in that past vision really blocks us from having a forward vision, a hope, and bringing that to other people. And when we talk through the rest of this vision series and we start getting excited, it's going to be tough to really clearly see some of that forward vision, not also look at walking through some of the past vision. I know you're probably like, all right. All right, Joy, I hear you. You said remember like 50 times. (laughs) And you're talking about remember that Jesus gives us hope. Well, considering that together, here's some more practical tools if that's what you're looking to hear. All right, Jesus is my hope, he's my king, remember the past, I don't know. Some more practical tools. Grieving our losses. I want to spend just a moment right here. This is a verse I'll read in length. Numbers 13. They are caught between the forward vision and the past vision. And there are definitely practicals here. So, as they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and figs. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. They scouted out the promised land. They bring back these massive grapes. Then the men who had gone up with them said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report, a bad vision of the land that they had spied out, saying all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. Seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Caleb's ready to take the land. Actually, the minority, just two spies, are ready to take the land they're looking forward. But the rest, there's a skew in the vision. And they can literally taste the future. They're eating these grapes They have this opportunity to seize everything they've ever wanted, and they let it slip. Which is an Eminem lyric. (laughs) That two people picked up on, but I had to say that. Man, two of them say can do, and the other ten say we can't. And when people start talking about vision, you'll hear a lot of people say, I can't. When we have a skewed vision of God, we can hear a lot of, I can't. Confucius once said, I think I have a slide of this. Yeah, Confucius. He who says he can't and he who says he can, they're both usually right. Because our expectations affect our view, affect our decisions and the actions we make. Our expectations change our reality. Expect disappointment. You'll be disappointed. But expect God to do great things, greater things. And God will do greater things. Yeah. If You've got to believe in that. And you're still going, all right, Joey, what's the practical tool? <laughs> they said the obstacles were great. The practical tool is the mindset. There's scarcity mindset, abundance mindset. And I'll let you hit some of those bullet points, but this is a choice. And when we get caught in the one, again, it's not a, well, snap, I'm gonna have an abundance mindset. (laughs) I'm gonna start thinking, great, let's, uh, I'm just gonna start taking risks and being confident and being grateful and being happy to share my time and knowledge with others. That takes a little bit of work, right? But again, with God, and seeing God in our life more clearly. I think God wants us to have an abundance mindset. That a harvest is plentiful. That he has great hope for us. That he has an immeasurable power towards us who believe, but we gotta believe that. That there is more. You have to decide the kind of disciple you're going to be. To do things that have never been done before do church in ways that have never been done before. But it's that Numbers 13 caught in between past vision, future vision, where we're either going to hold back and stay in the camp or advance spiritually. And if you have a hard time viewing God in the present or viewing God in your past, you got to choose to either hold back or advance spiritually deeper into Jesus and make some decisions for your prayer life, for your Bible reading. There they were in the wilderness, tasting the future. They had to make a decision. Their bodies were free, but their hearts and souls. See, if Jesus was king, it's easy to advance. But they had a bad view. Either, hey, Pharaoh's a greater king, or these Canaanites seem to be a greater king than our king. They're looking back at empires rather than towards the kingdom of God. And just to say that we can give people that same taste, give them a taste of Jesus and his kingdom, Because when you're in Christ, you're tasting the future yourself. Kingdom of God is like eating the fruit of the promised land while still standing in the wilderness. That's what we got to give people today. When we live under the rule of God, together, looking at our past through the rule of God, it allows others to see and have a taste of the future when they can see the kingdom. But we can't have that grasshopper syndrome. We need to help each other revision. We need to ask each other how God has been faithful in the past. They say that it's going from having limiting beliefs to liberating beliefs. To limit ourselves or to be liberated. Upgrade your beliefs with liberating truths of how God is faithful. And upgrade, you can't just upgrade. You need to go to the Lord. You need his help You need time with him. Quote from Muhammad Ali, impossible is not a fact, it's an opinion. Impossible is potential, impossible is temporary, impossible is nothing. Impossible is just a word thrown around by small men who find it easier to live in the world they've been given rather than explore the power they have to change it. I think that's the kind of liberating truth God wants us to embrace in order to overcome a limiting belief. So the practical advice to give is to look at the gains and not the gap. The faithfulness of God, the gains, rather than the gap of, I have so much more to go. (laughs) Man, I really have a lot to do to draw closer to God. Man, we have a lot to do together in order to build his kingdom. Look at the gains. That's why in AA, they they give you sobriety to give you that notch under your belt to give you confidence of look how far you've come. They even tell you in AA to believe in a higher power and to look at the gains of how far you've come and that's what will help to liberate you. Look at the gains. Israelites could have looked at the gains of how God was faithful in their past liberating them from Egypt in order to have confidence to go forward. We in the Bend Church, we've had some gains. I remember our first service, four people in a hotel room and casting the vision that we've got no plan, no money, and a very small chance of success. Who's with me? (laughs) And a couple months later, four people turning into eight people and Jesse moving to Bend, Oregon, and Jesse and I are starting to pray on the phone every other week and We grew beyond the four people in the hotel room. The Mays started meeting in their living room once a month, the disciples sacrificing in Eugene and Boise to financially support the work and to help it make more affordable for singles to move here and help the church. We had no one to lead worship at first, except for me. It was a poor vision. (laughs) (laughs) We went from my wife and I living with family on beautiful property to living with three single guys, but that was fun and that was great. And then, uh, and then we needed we grew beyond the living room. And the, amen, we found a venue. And now we've been given this venue in downtown Bend, an incredible gain. Yes, we had no one to lead worship. Now we have an amazing worship team much better than Joey Hungerford. (laughs) At first, we had no one to lead a a campus ministry, a campus Bible talk, get students involved, and then then much like leading worship or leading the campus Bible talk or leading a game night or doing anything in the church, disciples said, I can rather than I can't. Mm -hmm. And they stepped up and had a vision of the future and we had those things and students on campus were getting in the word and the worship started to sound better and we got this great venue downtown Seeing others come to the Lord, growing out of the living room. God has given us incredible gains since four people meeting in a hotel room. God has been incredibly faithful. Mm -hmm. To have a brief conclusion, in your past, how has God established your steps? Mm -hmm. Believe he's going to establish your steps in the future. It's better to be uncomfortable and in tune with the Lord In tune with how he's worked in your past, giving God your past, than to be comfortable and out of step with God. How has he established your steps? If you feel stuck in loss or have the need for lament, bring this up with a prayer partner, another disciple, a grief recovery specialist like Madison. Ask for help to view your past biblically and do the hard work of working through it with your King, Jesus Christ. Stop, listen, think, ask, pray, spend time with the Lord. Ask another disciple how God can work in your present. To God be the glory. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. It would mean so much to us if you were to leave us a review and a rating for our podcast so that this message can reach others. Thank you.